He is risen. Our verse for consideration today, verse is, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Our epistle lesson is, is um, you know, kind of different, we, of course we call it first reading, but Kind of different than what we usually expect out of that second reading, you know, um, during this season of Easter, during year C, we spend a, a fairly long time in the book of Revelation looking at various prophecies uh, that John, uh, God is making through John and, and that are going to be coming true uh, hopefully very soon. Uh, it doesn't seem very much in keeping with uh, Easter in times, but other times it really makes a lot of sense. Um, today we have prophecy, a description of what will happen in the future as God makes all things new. And there is so much that is beautiful about this prophecy, about this promise, uh, what God is going to do for his people. We will live in paradise in that day, forever set free from sin and death. We will have no need for sun or moon because Christ uh, in the midst of us will be our light and we will see him face to face. Well, there's so, I mean, and I had to kind of summarize it because there's just so much there. Would have taken, I would have had to reread the whole second reading. It's beautiful. What Christ has done on the cross has wiped away sins, given hope and life to many. We cling to his cross, never looking to ourselves, nor trusting in our works. We do not look to idols or power or money or strength. Uh, God alone is who we worship. And because of what he has done, we will inherit everything you see in your Revelation reading. We will inherit it all. What joy we have because what Christ has done. We move to a section that I think could be useful for us to look at today. John tells us that we ought to be careful with the very words he has written. We should not add to them, nor should we take away from them. This is good advice for all Christians, but also today we uh, celebrate our graduates. It's good advice for them as well as they move forward in life. So, we look at our verses again. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city. Now, I've heard a couple of people uh, throughout my life, professors, teachers, and, and uh, uh, reading other commentaries, make a claim that John's really not just talking about Revelation per se, but he might be talking about the entire Bible itself, yeah? Not to add to it, nor to take away from it. What does it mean to add to the Word of God? I think it would be good for us to kind of define that. Uh, I can think of two ways that I have seen, right? First... People, leaders, uh, even pastors, give to scriptures a meaning that is not attributed to that verse, to that word, or text. Now this is difficult, right? Because uh, we're not all trained. How do we know what is wrong and what is right interpretation? Uh, I, I, I kind of shudder at this. I still shudder when I think about this, but um, I didn't know at the time, I was a first year student at seminary, 
that there were books in the seminary library that were not reliable. Uh, what I mean is that they, they keep all kinds of books on the, on the shelves there to give a variety of viewpoints so that you know what other people are saying about this, uh, even if it's in contradiction with the LCMS teaches, right? You need to know what other scholars are saying. Well, see, I didn't realize this, so I read this book about Jude, and I go into Bible study at my fieldwork church, and I teach a story, I teach about Jude, and my, my pastor has to cut me off halfway through it and say, everything he just told you is wrong, and I just sit down like an embarrassed little puppy, yeah? Happens to the best of us. How do we know what's right or what's wrong interpretation? Well, the very first thing I would say is fall back to your catechetical instruction, yeah, what you learn in catechism. That will give you a good first idea. And then I would say this, the scriptures tell one overarching story, okay? There's one story that runs through everything. It's the very, very, the, you know, boiled down to one thing, right? God is telling a story of love, of grace, and redemption. That's the story he's telling. Now, it goes down a lot of different paths, but that's what we should know. So someone's telling you some kind of story where God isn't redeeming his people, where God isn't loving his people, right? Then they should be avoided. Now, this thing is common. If you find someone digging up a new interpretation and or claim, and they say, well, this is going to be a game changer. It's going to take us in a whole new direction. Well, then I would say to you, be careful. Christian scholars have been poring over the scriptures for centuries. And I, I will say this gladly. I haven't written anything original in my life. And, I'm, and I don't mean that as I don't like sit down and write. What I mean is everything that I've written, someone else has already written probably ten times. Right? Hundreds of thousands of pastors and church fathers and bishops and people writing sermons and talking about the scriptures Nothing I'm saying hasn't been said before, right? Uh, but when you get something that's never been said before over the last 2,000 years, watch out. It probably isn't something that is worthwhile or good. Uh, new is not always good, especially when it comes to the interpretation of Scripture. One can add to Scripture also by simply adding things into God's Word. As like, I see this a lot in the world that we live in, okay? People boil down God's word, the scriptures, the New Testament, into one thing, yeah? Love, grace, tolerance. We get that one a lot. These are good things, right? By themselves, they're all good things. But when you have a Bible full of all truth, every truth, sooner or later, the Bible is then going to contradict the one truth that you hold to, right? Truths about God, about sin, about Jesus, about people, about the world. Sooner or later, these things are going to contradict each other. Tolerance, in other words, as, as an example, tolerance as an overarching thing, right, that you read into the scriptures, doesn't do well when confronted with God's law when it comes to human sexuality and marriage. See, those things don't coexist. So if you add tolerance in as your main glasses for reading scriptures, you're going to mess them up. Human history had agreed on this topic about human sexuality and marriage up until about 50 years ago. 
Men were men, women were women, and God made us complementary to each other so that we could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is what God's word actually says. And if you find yourself in your pew cringing, that I would say something that is so basic and so simple in God's word, that's the problem. That's the very problem. Here we can see that worldly tolerance or lack of hate or love has been added into the scriptures and has overridden the true sense of the words that God gave us from his own character. And what I mean by that is God defines what tolerance is. God defines what love and grace is. So if you're not willing to take your definitions from God, that's a problem. We should not add meaning to words, verses, or stories that isn't in God's word. We should not add concepts to override what God has ordained. We should simply not add to the plain meaning of Scripture. Now, there, I mean, in, in a very, very simple way, too, there are some people who make a case that, like, there are lost books that should be added to Scripture. These things should not be added either. Yeah? St. John warns us not to add to Scripture, but he also says not to subtract. Now, I think this is the one we probably can see a little easier than add. We see lots of churches, even sometimes our own, equivocate and rationalize. God didn't really mean it when he said no sex before marriage. You see, we're smarter. We're more civilized. We know more. We can't really do that in the modern world that we live. God doesn't care that I trust in my money as long as I go to church regularly. We can't really call sex outside uh, sex outside of man and women sinful, not in this world that we live. How dare we listen to such hateful words? It isn't right to bar women from the preaching office. It doesn't matter what the Word of God says because our culture is more enlightened, more peaceful, more loving. But is it? We like to make those claims that we're more enlightened. We wouldn't do the things that people did in Old Testament worlds in the Roman world, are we more enlightened, more peaceful? The people in Uvalde would beg to differ. Our culture and our world have not become more peaceful and less violent. In some ways, we are more violent than we have ever been because we've depersonified people. That's not even a word, but I screwed that up. But we don't see people as people, we see them as enemies. Once we disagree with them, then there's someone that's okay to dispose of. We lost that somewhere. That regardless of our disagreements, what we think about each other, we're all people that are equal in the eyes of God. I don't know how we lost that. If you want to see nonviolence, if you want to see love, if you want to see tolerance, if you want to see peace, we see these things in Christ in their ultimate form. In the best form, he is the definition of these words. And yet, in many and various ways, he and his apostles are rejected. And that's, I think, something really important. Christ spent three years with his apostles. He taught them his last words and testament. So his apostles' preaching and teaching is Christ's definitive word. If you don't like that, I don't know what to tell you. That's true. If Jesus came today, what would happen? Can you imagine that? He says, when they ask him about marriage, he says, 
uh, for they were created male and female and united together in one flesh. And then he says, what God has put together, let man not separate. Imagine if Jesus got on television and said that today. Well, he's not woke enough. He's not progressive. He's not kind. Jesus spoke the law, sometimes very clearly, almost brutally clear. He spoke that all humans were created by God, male and female. It's a tough thing to swallow sometimes in our world today. And so it is. Churches don't believe that Scripture is God's Word or don't really care that much about God's Word to begin with, and they begin to pull things out that they don't like, right? We invalidate Paul because Paul was just some kind of misogynist or pull out all the Pauline teaches. We'll get rid of Leviticus or Deuteronomy because it's judgmental Old Testament. It's barbaric stuff. We cut up the scripture until nothing is left but bland, barely usable broth. There's no food. There's no spiritual sustenance. Sooner or later, the scripture cutters the learned, the academics, they won't be satisfied with just the miracles or the characters uh, or, you know, the grace and the love. Sooner or later, they will come for Jesus. If you start pulling at threads in the Bible, sooner or later, the last thread to pull is Christ. Because if you can't believe in miracles, if you can't believe what Christ did, then you won't believe that he rose from the dead. And if you don't believe that Christ rose from the dead, you don't have anything. The Bible is nothing but a self-help book. So why do people do this? I mean, obviously, it wasn't just a problem in our time. It was a problem in the time of John, because he was writing a warning down. He was worried they were going to do it. God's word makes claims on us. And some of those claims are hard to deal with. He tells us that our bodies are not our own. He tells us that we are sinners and we need to repent. He tells us to worship him and him alone. We don't like God's word when it contradicts our modern sensibilities. We like to think we know better. So we add to it. Or we subtract from it. And what's left? is not really God's word at all. When God's word makes its claims, and it's very clearly there in the letters and the words in front of us, and we cringe and we say to ourselves, he can't possibly mean that. I can't possibly be held to that standard. It's not just people outside the church. It's us. Even we bristle at God's word at times. So, Graduates, our Redeemer, all of you, find a church that will dare to give you the unadulterated truth. Find yourself a church that will show you your sins, but also show you your Savior. Find a church that will practice pastoral discipline and not allow anyone just to go to the communion rail, take the body and blood, because Our scriptures teach that someone ought to discern what they're doing before they go there. Find a church that will preach to you both law in its fullness, but also gospel in its sweetness. This is what we should do. As people, we're probably not that active in adding or subtracting from the scriptures themselves, but we should be looking for a place 
that also doesn't add or subtract from God's word. We should be drawn to that place. Want to hear the fullness of God's word. It's a lot of prescription. It's a lot of telling you what you should do. So I'm not going to leave you there, but I want to add this for you. A beautiful piece of gospel as well, coming from our epistle lesson, or our first, a second reading. Yeah? Uh, look what God has in store for us who follow his word, right? John says, don't add to it, don't subtract to it. But for those who follow his word, what does God promise? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no lamp. Uh, need a light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's worthwhile. It's worthwhile clinging to God's word. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult at times but it's worth it. The Lord bless and keep you this day 